let me explain what we're going to do today. We're going to uh, revisit where we concluded last week. And so our message today will basically be application from our third point of last week. Last week, we looked at the providence of God and the story of Joseph. Moved from there to the providence of God and the gospel of Jesus. And then finally, the providence of God and the reality of our own lives. Uh, For the most part, in that point, we talked about the 2011, April 27th tornado and just what God's done in these five years. And we kind of look back and we're just reminded of his uh, wonderful, gracious providence. Uh, Today, I want us to dig a little deeper into this doctrine of providence so that we might be able to, where we are today, as we stated last week, we want to be able to look back on our lives with faith in God and look forward with trust and hope and confidence in our Lord for what he will do. Our God is great and he will do everything that he says he will do for his people. He's wonderful. Unless we want to feel and see today. So if you will, look with me at your outline and we're going to be reminded of what we saw last week, God's providence. We're calling it 101, okay? And so let's just go over this one more time. Make sure we're all on the same page. God's providence 101. Uh, When we talk about God's promises, I mean, God's providence, this is very closely connected to the doctrine of creation. And so we are reminded today that God created everything and everyone. That is what God's word says, that God created everything and everyone. Connected to that, we see that God is continually and intimately involved with everything and with everyone that he created. And so that which God creates, he cares for. That's what, that, oh my goodness, that which God creates, he cares for. Thirdly, that God sovereignly cares for, he upholds and he guides his creation to fulfill his ultimate purposes. Uh, I want to point you to a couple of scriptures real quickly, just to make sure we see how wonderful and mysterious this truth is. Colossians chapter one, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. The word of God says, and he, Jesus is before all things and in him, that once again, being Christ, all things hold together. That Christ holds everything together. I want to read for you Hebrews chapter one. Uh, We'll just read one through three. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Verse three says about Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's what we're told about our God. Specifically in that text, we're told about Jesus Christ. He upholds the universe by his word. See, that which God creates, he cares for. That which he cares for, he upholds. He guides it to fulfill 
his ultimate purposes. And lastly, we see that God's providential grace will always lead to God receiving glory and his people receiving his goodness. And so what we want to be able to do today is we want to be able to look back on our life, whatever circumstances we're in, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how dark it feels, we want to be able to look back this morning, yesterday, last month, last year, all of our life, we want to be able to look back with faith in God. And then we want to be able to look forward. Once again, even if nothing seems to have changed today, we want to be able to look forward with trust and hope and confidence in God. Why? Why? Because God's word is true. And because there are promises in God's word that give every Christian ultimate and real hope in Christ. And the word of God says that every promise of God, every promise that we find, finds its yes in Jesus. It's yes in Jesus. That if Jesus died in our place and if he rose from the grave, we can be sure that everything that God's word says that is a promise for us will come to pass. It will be true. Okay? So we want to have hope today in light of God's providential grace in our lives. And so what I want to do is join me in chapter 50. This is Joseph at 49 years old. Do we have any 49-year-olds in the house today? Raise your hand so we can know that you're about to be 50. Okay, right there. 49-year-old. Okay, so Joseph, 49 years old. Well, remember, our story of him really began in chapter 37 when he was 17. We got any 17-year-olds in the house? Oh, there we go. Okay, got some 17-year-olds. Got a 17-year-old, got a 49-year-old. Here's, here's what we want to see is that at 17, we saw Joseph, he was wronged by his brothers. They wanted to kill him. They end up abandoning him. Then they ended up selling him to slavery. He goes into slavery in Egypt. We know he ends up getting wrongly accused of something that he did not do. He ends up spending time in jail. While he's in jail, he is forgotten. And uh, all of this takes place to end up having him raised into a position of power, which is just crazy. He ends up second in command of all of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And at the age of 49, he is able to look back over all of that, all of that from 17 to 49, all of the suffering, all of the circumstances that he was in, he's able to look back on that time with faith, and he's able to look forward, trusting and hoping and confident in God. I want to read for you where we see this. Chapter 50, join with me in verse 15, and we'll read through the end of verse 21. The word of God says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so, so Jacob has just passed away, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and they fell down before him. And they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. 
For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. Man, what a work that the Lord has done in the life of Joseph. That with all, with all of this that has come against him, he can look back in faith and, and he can even comfort and speak kindness to those who were against him. This is the work of our Lord. And this is what happens when we're able to remove our gaze from maybe the circumstances that we're in in the moment. And we're able to set our gaze upon God who is reigning supreme over them. No matter how difficult the circumstances may be, no matter how dark the times, we can step back and look and say, God is good. God cares for me. God has a plan and purpose for my life. And even if we can't articulate it, exactly like Joseph was able to at the age of 49, I believe that one day all Christians will be in the presence of our Lord. And though we may not have every answer that we ever wanted, we'll be able to look back on our lives with faith. I want to pretend for a moment that 49-year-old Joseph was here this morning. And he came and he sat before us, probably dressed really cool. I'm just making that up. He probably wouldn't be, I don't know. But dressed before us and that we would ask him, describe for us God's providence. Describe for us what God's providential work in your life was like that we might be able to, in our circumstances, identify, yes, with even where you were and see how you trusted God and relied on God, but also that we might look forward into our life and be prepared. Know what to cling to, what to trust in. I, I believe what Joseph would say is this. Look with me at your outline. As we dig a little deeper into God's providence in the reality of our own lives, I believe that he would say, man, listen, God's providence tends to be slower than we would desire it to be. God's work of providence tends to be slower than we would like it to be. Have any of you ever felt that way before? Seriously, ra raise your hand. If you've ever felt like, man, this is just slow. Okay, you've been there? You know, maybe there was a really emotional time. I, I can think of people in this room who uh, are, are currently sick or people who are going through trials and, and testings uh, in their own lives. And, and, and I can think about, you know, maybe that day that they found out from the doctor or maybe the first time that the church gathered around them and, and prayed over them. Maybe they thought, you know, God's going to work this out tomorrow. I'm going to be better when I wake up in the morning. God's going to do this tomorrow. Or maybe it was that relationship that, that broke and, and with everybody praying, we thought we know that this is going to end in reconciliation. We know that this is going to end the way that God intends this relationship to end. This is going to work. This is going to be good. And then maybe it's days later, months later, years later. 
And you sit here today and you say, yeah, this is slower than I would have ever thought. I believe if Joseph was here, I, I could imagine him here just sitting on a little stool and maybe he would tell us something like, yeah. I remember when I was 17, which we know what it's like to be 17, don't we? Woo. Uh, when I was 17 and there I was being taken off in chains to a place I had never been before with people that I didn't know, to a nation where people didn't know the God that I believe in, to a place where the king believed himself to be a God. And I just every night thought, I don't know if God is going to do anything anymore. If he is, it's not quick enough. Days are slow, nights long, time is tough. And I bet Joseph would look back at the age of 49. He would look back there from that position in Egypt and say, yeah, God worked slower than I thought. It was slower than I thought he might. But oh, was it so wonderful when he did. Everything that happened, he prepared my heart well. I think about the disciples. Jesus is uh, ascending into heaven and he has commissioned them out to go and make disciples of all nations. And you can just imagine, they're just ready to go and do this great work. And so they're preaching the gospel and, and they're doing what they do. And, and, and you, can, you can just feel in their hearts the anticipation that he's probably gonna be back at the end of the month. At least the end of the year. At least before the end of my life. And then some 2,000 years later, we sit here at Alberta Baptist Church and we look and we receive hope from this word that they wrote down, many of them for us there in the New Testament. And we find hope and we learn patience <laughs> that maybe they did, themselves didn't even have in the moment. God doesn't work on the same timetable that we do. And what God's word encourages us is this, is that God's timing, though it may not be what you would think, it's for our good and it's by his grace. In fact, the patience of God, him waiting, displays something, it's kindness towards us that we might repent and turn to him, cling to him in his goodness. But listen, I believe that Joseph was here. I believe he would say, yeah, God's providence and the reality of our own lives when it's real life, real circumstances, tends to be slower than we would desire. A, a great truth that we can take if, uh, in terms of in the life of a Christian this morning is this, is that in the Christian life, we're called to purposefully wait. I, I like the intentionally wait, actively wait. Like we know, we know ahead of time, we can read the stories in scripture, we can read God's word and we can know, yeah, th there's times that, you know, it may be the rest of my life that I'm waiting on him. In fact, the day when I get what I really pray for is gonna be the day when I'm with him face to face. And in the time that we wait for whatever it is that we're praying for and clinging uh, to, in the time that we wait, we're to be active, we're to be intentional, we're to be purposeful. I, I believe Joseph could give us the best lesson on that. Think about it. When he was working for Potiphar, he was intentional. Like he didn't just sit in the corner. 
He didn't just slum around all day. That's not what he did. He was a hard worker and he, he gave it his all and everything that he did. And it was, God was with him. And it was like everything that he touched, like turned to gold. It's a horrible circumstance for him, but look at what happened. Look at how God used him. Uh, when he was wrongly accused and he was placed into prison, man, he didn't give up. He didn't even get in the corner of the jail cell. He didn't do that. He worked hard. He was intentional where he was. He honored God where he was, no matter what the circumstances were like. What about when he was forgotten? Man, same thing, same thing. He waited actively. May we be a people who do the same thing. Waiting in the power of our Lord. Secondly, I I believe that he would say this. I, I think he would say God's providence in the reality of our own lives always, listen to that, always involves some degree of suffering. I, I mean, just think about in this room. Like I, I tried to jot down just a, a few. Like we have uh, suffering that is due to our own sin. Like there's some of that in this room, isn't there? You know, consequences of our own behavior, our own wrongdoings, like things that we have done that we have brought suffering upon ourselves. There are certainly testimonies of that in this room. May there be stories of grace connected to those, huh? That's what we need. Uh, Stories of how God has rescued us and his grace poured out upon us, lavished upon us. Uh, But but certainly sufferings due to our own sin. What about suffering due to that you were wronged? Suffering that you wronged someone. Sufferings due to sickness. And we got people in the room with cancer. Like, Like there's never a time I think that we sit back and we go, man, this is awesome that I'm sick. This is great that I was wronged. No, God's word doesn't tell you to be fake. And God's word doesn't tell you that when you get to that door before you walk in, that you hang it up on a little rack before you walk in. I get so sick when people are leading in worship or teaching, they say, hey, listen, when you get in here, forget all that's going on in your life and just come to the throne. I want to slap somebody when they say that. You know what Jesus would say to us? He would say, bring everything, everything in your life. Bring your depression, bring your suffering, bring all of that bitterness and hatred and anger. Bring it to me. Allow me to forgive you and care for you. Allow me to pick you up and set your feet on a rock. Like, that's what we need. And I believe Joseph could look at us in the face and say, listen, part of God's work in our life, it involves suffering. It involves suffering. What about loss of job? What about loss of life? Oh, man. I would never want to embarrass anyone. But my friend Jennifer, oh, I love her. And I miss Bruce Mills. Not as much as she does, but I miss Bruce Mills. And there is just no point in the day, there is no point in this message that I'm not thinking about what goes on in her mind and in her heart. The providence of God is not that we forget our pain. 
the providence of God, part of it is clinging to one who knows our pain and who can lead us and guide us and care for us, who can comfort us as we suffer. I want you to know that Joseph suffered. He suffered from the age of 17 on. I'm sure there was suffering that took place after he was 49 years old. He did live until he was 110. But Joseph knew suffering and he knew it well. But throughout his suffering, we see in the word of God from chapters 37 through 50, specifically there in 39 when he is wronged, we see that the Lord was with Joseph. When we talk about suffering, we need to understand this, is that our God, he suffered for us. We have a God who can identify with us. It's better than a story about Joseph. Like Joseph's a good guy. And he's a little tiny H hero, but Joseph's life just points us and helps push us to the capital H hero of all of scripture, Jesus Christ. The one that the word of God calls the suffering servant. You're talking about intentional as you wait. (laughs) What about one who cried out in agony? Lord, this cup, do do I have to drink this cup? You know, Lord, if it's your will, I, I'll do it. I'll do it. And what about as he takes the cup of the wrath of God and he dies in our place, he suffers for us. And then he raises from the grave that even as we suffer, we might have his strength and that one day we can know that as he raised to life, we will too for all of eternity. The gospel message is wonderful, but it does not remove from this life suffering. I want to read for you Hebrews chapter two, if you will hold your place in Genesis 50 and flip over to Hebrews chapter two for just a moment. We're going to read from verses 14 through 18. I just want you to listen closely and and look at God's word as we read. And especially if you sit in this room today and it's a, it's a time of your life where there is a unique amount of suffering that you are in, I, I want you to listen to these words. This is the word of God spoken deep into our hearts. You ready? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who fear fear of death, those whose fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that helps, that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people, the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Verse 18, listen to this. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I want you to look with me. Chapter four, verse 14. 
We're told in God's word, since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praise the Lord. We have a God, he, he doesn't just tell, tell us it's okay when you suffer. It's a God who suffered for us. He suffered for us. He can identify with our suffering. The gospel is so wonderful that in Romans chapter eight, and you don't, you don't have to flip there, but Romans uh, chapter eight, there in verse 18, I, I want you to hear what the apostle Paul what he says. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I I don't know if Joseph at 49 could give us something that sweet. But the Joseph of today and the Joseph 10,000 years from now, he'll be able to give us that testimony. That Christ is wonderful and he can be trusted. He suffered for us that he might care for us and lift us up for all of eternity. The third thing I want you to see about God's providence and that I believe that Joseph, as he was here at 49 there from chapter 50, that he would tell us this, is that it typically includes seasons of apparent silence. I said apparent silence, and there's a great reason for that. Uh, but, but there are times, and even when you're reading God's word, that you can say, well, why doesn't God just do something right there? You know, like, like when is he going to move? When is he going to make his move? The book of Judges, like the whole thing. Like I'm reading, I'm like, why does he not just do this right there? Because, listen, I am the clay. He is the potter. May I learn to hush my mouth and be silent and trust the Lord in his apparent silence. See, I think Joseph would look back and he would say, yes, you have no idea. Like I I cried out and I didn't hear anything. Like I wanted to feel comfort and there was that night in the jail cell, I didn't feel very comforted. It was apparent silence. The way that God typically works when we think of God's providence is we can think of one, the seen hand, okay? This is like Moses slaps the ground and the sea splits. When that happens, everybody goes, well, that was God. Okay, you you get it? that, That was obviously the Lord. There are other times, unseen hand, where we sit back going, man, what is he doing? I mean, I think of the book of Habakkuk. He's like, man, God, what are you doing? Are you ever going to do anything about these evil people that are all around doing evil things? And, and he's just talking and talking. And the Lord finally speaks. And he says, look, if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't even believe me. You know, he didn't do what I would have done. and be like, hush your mouth, little man. Okay, like, don't, don't talk anymore. You know, that, that kind of thing. The Lord, kindness even comes out in the way that he expresses to that prophet. You know, like, if I told you, you wouldn't even believe me. The way that God, that God works is mysterious. 
And, and, and what we see is oftentimes it includes seasons of apparent silence. I think of the book of Job. Job in his bitterness. Hey, chapter 23 of, of Job, he, he says, uh, today my complaint is bitter. I guarantee you there's a person in the room that can identify with Job in that moment. My complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. And he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. Like, oh, that I could just find him. If I could find God right now, if I could approach him, I'd come to him and I'd say, please listen to my complaint. Poor Job. He he didn't get it, did he? See, a lot of times we find in scripture that if we would read it, we would find people that don't have it all together. We would find people that a lot of times respond to the Lord in the ways that you are in secret at your house. And as we read the word of God, we would find comfort in identifying with these saints that didn't get it either. But then we'd be comforted in God's response, his gracious response to them as he comforts and cares and lifts them up. In the silence, Job learned to trust God. In the silence. Listen, every one of you, I I love, I love the, the Bibles that, that were just given, the ESV study Bibles, nine of them handed out. Listen, in the word of God, we can be sure that there's never a day when there's truly silence. There is never a day in this room where you can say that God is silent. Every time the word is read, every time the word is spoken, God is not silent. Understand that. But even on the days when we read and everything feels blocked and the ceiling feels really small and we feel cramped and we feel like he doesn't hear us and care, we can be sure because of his word that he does and that he's here for us and he loves us and that in Christ we're a child and he's a good father. I believe Joseph would also tell us Not only is there suffering, not only is there silence, not only does it appear slow, but it will oftentimes be surprising. Oftentimes God's work of providence is surprising. I think about Joseph and I can just imagine him telling his story if he was just giving the testimony. You know, 17-year-old kid sold into slavery, off to Egypt, doesn't know anyone apparent hopelessness. And yet not that many years later, I mean, at the age of 49, there he is. He is the co-king of Egypt. Like that's surprising. On Wednesday nights, we're talking about the beautiful story of Ruth. I love that book. Probably my favorite Old Testament story, the book of Ruth. What a surprising story. In the time of Judges, no king in the land. Everything's dark. Nothing's going right. Everything's going wrong for this family. There's no hope. Oh, yeah, there is. From this little woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, we get this beautiful story. That from chapter one, when there's apparently no hope, to chapter four, just a few chapters over, we have a baby. And the baby that's being bounced in the lap of Naomi, that little baby is named Obed. And Obed, of course, is the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. The time when there was no king in the land. Look at what God was doing. It's surprising. Look at his work. 
I, I think about my own life and my own story. I think about months after losing my, my little boy. Uh, I, I remember, and I've told this story many times, but I remember just being, man, being bitter, being frustrated, uh, feeling like I was just in a dark, dark place. And, and being in that moment, yelling at the Lord on a Saturday, yelling at him, feeling like he was silent, feeling like he didn't care. Everything was slower than I thought it should be. Everything was uh, more suffering than I intended. I couldn't stand watching Catherine suffer. It was just awful. I remember yelling at him on Saturday and on Sunday morning, looking at a pregnancy, uh, I mean, looking at a positive pregnancy test. Surprising, huh? Yelling at him and he gave us Lucy. (laughs) Surprising. I want to read for you a, a poem. This is by William Cowper and you'll know a couple of stanzas of this. And, and so just, just go with me. This was a guy who he lived a life in many ways of suffering, but I want to hear you, him tell you about God's providence. He, he says this, he says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable mind, of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread, are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. I love this word, it is God's surprising grace. I don't know if Joseph could give us much more than those four when he was 49. But I guarantee you now, if we could see glorified Joseph, Joseph could give us number five. And it's this, is that God's providence worked out in the reality of our own lives in the end will always lead to our satisfaction. Always. I love God's word. God's word gives us just rock solid truth that we need. It doesn't tell us necessarily, God doesn't give us like what we might wanna hear in a moment. He gives us what's true. Second Corinthians chapter four, I wanna read this for you. Paul's talking about in the midst of suffering. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory behind all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're told in God's word that that for those who love God, Romans 8, 28, that all things will work for what? Our good. 
our good. I'm positive there are people who you sit here today and you say, man, I know he says he's going to work out good for me, but I'm not sure if I believe it. You know, look at what's going on in my life. Look at my heart. Look at how much I hurt. Look at, I mean, how could anything be good? How could anything be good? And I want you to know, in the moment, I'm not sure if from now until the day that you die, I I don't know if you'll feel good. I don't know if things will feel good. I don't know if you will feel as happy as you did days ago or a month ago or whatever. But I know this, is that in the end, in the end, when we are with him, I can assure you by God's word that he will deliver your final good. And it will be enough to last for all of eternity. I can't tell you exactly what that'll look like. I, I, I can't tell you that it won't be mysterious leading up to it. But all I know is this, is that God's word gives us assurance that any suffering that we taste in this moment, it will be nothing compared to what we feast on for all of eternity. You can be sure of that from God's word. If you ever say, but how could I know? Listen, if you want to know that God loves you, you look to the cross and you watch Jesus die in your place. If you want to know he's powerful enough to work in your life, you look to three days later, he rose, raised him from the dead. You need to know love, look to the cross. You need to know power, look to the resurrection. God will do what he says he will do. Jennifer, if you will, y'all, y'all come and and lead us. And, and here's how we want to respond today. Right before we go to the table, we're, we're going to go to the Lord's table and, and we're going to, uh, you know, taste and see. I mean, we're, we're going to have the bread and we're going to have the cup. And, and as we do this, we're, we need to be reminded as we do this, that God loves us. God cares for us. He knows where we are. So whatever you're going through in the moment, whatever your, whatever your circumstances are like, I want you not to hang them up outside that door, but bring them, bring them to the altar. But way more important than that, bring them to Christ. Bring them to Christ. He loves us. He cares for us. His word is true. He'll do everything he says he will do for us. If, for those who are in Christ, he will work out all things to our good. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. I-